Lord, we just thank you for the many ways that you speak to us. Lord, we, we do want to come to you. We do want to worship you this morning. We do open up our hearts to everything that you have for us. Great and mighty God, we pray. Amen. Well, God surprises us oftentimes, doesn't he? Surprising us with his love, the way that he works. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been surprised by love before. I did my best to surprise Tisa with my love for her. We kind of were in this relationship when we were dating, where we dated, and then we broke up, or she would say, I broke up, but we got back together, and time went on, and finally, finally, I, I got the courage, I felt like I heard from God, I had this conviction that, you know, I could, I could be in a married relationship that would last uh, for a lifetime, and I got this little ring, and after an episode of MASH, I handed it to her and said, will you marry me? And it did surprise her. She was shocked. She was excited. And that's how my engagement went. Could have been better. I look back with a few regrets. I think I could have made that better. My, my kids have done much better than that. Zach and Cassie. I mean, Zach, he didn't get this from me, but he's a romantic at heart and he, he planned this, this scavenger hunt for Cassie to go on with clues all throughout Spokane, ending up with this beautifully uh, candlelit dinner. He wrote a song. He gave the song. He gave the ring. Oh, it was. It was. It was nice. And then uh, she was surprised. She was very surprised. And, and then with Nathan... Uh, he was dating Chantel. We, we actually, it was about five or maybe almost six years ago while we were on sabbatical. At the end of our sabbatical, my, my sister had given us a place to stay down in St. Martin, down in the Caribbean, beautiful place. She had this timeshare. She gave it to us. We flew down. We invited the kids down. They all saved some money. They came down as well. And Chantel came to, and she didn't know, but it was going to be an engagement. And so uh, Nathan had already picked out the ring that he wanted. Uh, we all sh- you know, showed up there. We, we were just having fun for a while. And then he planned out the day in the middle of the week where he was going to ask her. We went out and scoped out some places like there were these great cliffs overlooking the ocean and decided, no, not that. We, there was this beach that it was the most beautiful beach in St. Martin called Orient Bay. And the only problem is it's a nude beach. <laughs> half of it was nude. Well, what I mean by that is half of it was nude. Half of it had people had clothes on and we went to the clothes on side. But, and you know, I'm just saying those nude people, come on, spare the world. You're not that attractive. But... But uh, anyway, so we're, we're, we go over there, we drive, we rent this van, we go over across the island to Orient Bay. It's this beautiful scene. The sun is setting. Uh, he, we all, we're, we're all there. All six of us are there. And we, Zach and Cassie, they go off one direction. Tisa and I, we pretend like we're going to go check out some shops. And they're left there. And 
he takes her down the beach and gets down on one knee. They're just there alone, Caribbean, Orient Bay, beautiful. The sun is going down and he pulls out the ring and surprise, and it shocked her. And I have a picture uh, for you. <laughs> Not sure if she wanted me to show you that, but that's my daughter-in-law, Chantel. She was surprised. It was amazing. Uh, so let me just say happy Mother's Day to those three great moms, my great wife and, and uh, Cassie and Chantel. It's so surprising to hear stories of love and stories where love surprised someone, isn't it? Fun. It's, those are encouraging proposals or one great way to see that. Mountaintop experiences. But what about when your life is not going so well? When your heart is hurt or it's bitter You know inside yourself maybe that you've blown it, you've failed in some area, or you feel trapped, or you look back and you go, man, I have regrets in my life. What about then? Even in that place, God wants to surprise you with his love for you. And that's the story we're going to look at this morning in John chapter 4. Uh, in the Gospel of John, chapter 4, and uh, we'll pick up, actually we'll just start right out of verse 1. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now, the fact that he passed through Samaria is a very significant part of this text. What, what we would currently call the Holy Land is a piece of land that stretches about 120 miles along the Mediterranean uh, Sea. And so if you have the sea here and then the strip of land that's divided, the Holy Land back then at least, and to some degree today the same, divided into three kind of distinct regions. You had Judea, In the south, you had Samaria in the middle, and then you had Galilee uh, in the north. And so they had these distinct regions, distinct identities, and uh, particular kind of affinities that were there. Uh, Up north, primarily, Jews lived in Galilee. Down to the south, Jews lived in Judea. And then in the middle, there were the Samaritans, who had their own hybrid and blend of religion. They were kind of a mixed racial breed. They were in many ways despised and hated. And so it was uncommon for there to be friendship between the two. Between anybody that was from Judea with Samaria or anybody from Galilee. Because it was an ethnic, religious, political kind of nightmare. Animosity existed to the max in this particular area. And it stemmed all the way back to the Old Testament. You see, Samaria was actually a very historic region. It had rich history, biblical The patriarchs like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they sojourned through that particular area. They actually built altars in, in the particular region, especially around this mountain called Gerizim. And they, uh, they, they dug a well, Jacob himself uh, and some men that were with him dug a well maybe 100, 200 feet deep in order to feed his family, uh, raise crops and cattle and, uh, and, and to have the water that they needed in that very hot and dry land. 
So everything's good up until about 722 uh, B.C., years before Christ. Uh, the Assyrians came through. This is important. Track with me for a moment because it'll make the story un- a lot more understandable. That the Assyrians, some of the people in that area that hated the Jews, uh, they wanted their destruction. They invaded the area. They conquered the Jews who were living there. And as normal, what happens when one country invades another is they obviously deport a certain amount, as many as they can. They, they kill a lot of them. Uh, they mistreat the women. And they try to dilute the social fabric of that particular area so that nobody can rise up against them. They're basically looking to beat them into submission, dilute their religion, and, uh, and take away any kind of uh, ethnic identity that they might have. And that's exactly what they did there in Samaria. So the people begin, instead of staying true to, uh, to the one true God, they end, end up blending religions. They end up intermarrying. They started worshiping false gods. They kept a little bit of their theology intact. They kept the first five books of the Old Testament, but they got rid of the Psalms and the Proverbs and the wisdom literature and the history. And they said, well, we're basically kind of the same religion uh, because we're descendants of Abraham. And so the Jews that lived in Galilee to the north and the Jews that lived in Judea, in the Judean south, are thinking, you guys are mongrels. You're interbred. You have abandoned the faith. You're heretics. You don't know God any longer. And we will not worship at the same temple. We have no respect for you. We want nothing to do with you. They pretty much got a divorce. And there was political and ethnic prejudice between these areas. So, for example, if you were a good Jew and you were living in the south in Judea and you needed to go up to Galilee, you would go around Samaria. Even though it took three days longer, it could have been a two to three day journey. Now it was going to be about a week's journey because you did not want to pass through Samaria. That's the kind of hatred that was there in this particular area. So when John chapter four tells us that Jesus left Judea, he departed again for Galilee But he had to pass through Samaria. You see, that was an intentional decision that he made. He didn't have to. Everybody would go around Samaria. But something was there. Somebody was there. He went right into the crossfire of the hatred and the 700 years of animosity. But isn't that like God? Isn't that just like him? He surprises us. With where he will go, he surprises us with his love. He surprises us in the most unlikely places of our life. That happened for myself and my brother Andy. We were selling books back when we were both in college. And we were in North Texas. And I had the car and he had to walk. And so I would drop him off in a neighborhood. He would go door to door selling books. I would drive off into a different area of town and, and, and go door to door with the car, you know. And, uh, and, and so I dropped him off early in the morning. He w- went off to sell books, but he was really down. I mean, God was working in his life. I had just become a Christian very recently at that time. And, uh, and, and I was wanting Andy to know Jesus. But every time we got into a conversation, he just didn't see any relevancy of God in his life. And so I drop him off this one morning. I drive off. It's a town we neither of us had ever been to. And about 11 in the morning, I start to feel like 
I need to go back and talk to him. I need to go back and encourage him. He was so depressed. And so I, I drive back into this neighborhood to find my brother and I can't find him. I'm looking, I'm driving up and down all of the residential streets. I find a person out in their yard. I ask them if they've seen this guy. They said, no. And so I, I prayed. I was not a praying person, but I prayed. And I said, help me find my brother. And so uh, I just kind of went off on this little drive. And I felt like the Holy Spirit, whom I did not know very well at the time, said, turn right. And I turned right. And then he said, turn left. And I turned left. And pretty soon I weaved myself about a mile out of this neighborhood onto a main road like division and just started driving down the road, looking and praying, passing strip malls and restaurants. And finally, I saw a big strip mall on the left and I pulled into the parking lot and there were about 50 stores in there. And I just drove by each one. And I kept praying, just I wanted to find him. And I saw this little hole-in-the-wall bar in the strip mall. And I thought, well, it's 11 a.m. He's not a bar fly. He's not in there. But I just felt this, this urging to go in there. And so I got out of my car and I went up to the bar door, see if it was even open that early in the morning. I opened the door. And you know how when you first open a, a bar door and you walk in, it's dark in there. And you just came in from the light and you can't see anything. And that's exactly how it was. I was blinded for a moment. And I was waiting for my eyes to focus and readjust to the light. And finally, when they did, there's my brother just right there with a beer in his hand going, what the heck are you doing here? <laughs> Couldn't believe it. And I just had that opportunity to sit down and say, I was probably more blown away than he was because I could not believe that I found him. Out of all the places that I could have spent my time looking, I ended up in that exact spot because God is amazing in the way that he finds us. He seeks us. He finds us. And he surprises us with his love. God's love. Because he cares. And he comes into our life in the most unlikely places like Samaria. And like that bar. Just like many of you, some of my friends here, I know some of your stories. And God showed up. His love showed up in the middle of your divorce or showed up when you were on your road to success. You thought you didn't need anything or anybody or his love showed up in your jail cell or it showed up in a church service when you just came because a friend invited you or his love showed up in that hospital room or after getting everything, you realized you had nothing and God's love showed up in that place. For some of you, it was at a youth camp or a kid's camp. And I have one friend who's got, who God's love showed up while they were trying to commit suicide. You see, God's love shows up in the most unlikely places. Verse 5 says, So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well it was about the sixth hour. Jesus had this long day's journey in the heat of the sun. He's weary from his journey. It's the sixth hour, which is uh, noon, hot, middle of the day in the Middle East. And he is thirsty. His disciples are hungry. They disappear to go get some takeout. And he is there all by himself, sitting by the well, about a mile outside of Sychar, the village. And it was at the same plot of land that Jacob had purchased 
He had given to his son Joseph. Jacob had dug a well there. And so it had huge history surrounding it. Jesus is sitting there and up walks this woman in verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Now all the other women came in the morning. In this particular culture, the women would travel in a group. It's safer. They would chat. It was kind of like the laundromat. And they would talk about life and their kids and their husband and various things going on in their life. And they would go and get water together when it was cool in the morning. And then they would return. But here we find this particular lady by herself in the middle of the day. And there's a reason for it because she was an outcast. She wasn't accepted in the group there of the other Samaritan women. So she's there. And she's had a very difficult, very lonely life. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus is alone in Samaria, the most unlikely place for him to go. And up walks this woman who is a social outcast to her own people. Now, in that situation, it's really clear what you do. Mind your own business. I mean, she's a woman. She's alone. She's a Samaritan. All the disciples are gone. You mind your own business. But Jesus breaks all of the social rules. And we can kind of expect that from Jesus, can't we? It's amazing. He risks his reputation. He risks it all in order to engage in a meaningful conversation with this woman. And by the way, probably one of the only meaningful, heartfelt, loving conversations this woman has had from a man, maybe ever. Because she's used to people using her for sex, using her, uh, pretending like they're committed, pretending like they love her. I mean, a man speaking to a woman and a rabbi talking to a sinful woman and a Jew talking to a Samaritan. And she's thinking, why do you give a rip about me? And Jesus says in verse 10, if you knew the gift of God, And who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So he talks to her about this living, eternal water. Throughout the Old Testament, living water and water is a metaphor for salvation, for a relationship with God. And if you've ever been really, really thirsty on a hot, hot day, You're completely parched and you get this cool glass of water. Jesus uses that metaphor for salvation. That God, when God comes into our life, it brings this refreshing. It gives a cleansing. There's a healing. There's a satisfaction. It gives us energy. It gives us strength. And Jesus makes it clear that if you would have just asked, I would have given you this. See, he wants our faith to be engaged in asking for those things that God wants us to experience and have anyways. In verse 11, the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? 
He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Where do I get that water that you're talking about? I mean, you don't have a bucket. It's a, maybe a 200-foot well. But her interest is piqued. So Jesus answered, everybody who drinks of this water, meaning from Jacob's well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. You know, you can drink water every single day, but spiritually, it doesn't fill you. Work every single day, and it doesn't necessarily fill you. You see... Jesus has something that's spiritual in nature. It's eternal in duration. And it springs up from within us. A wellspring of living water refreshing our life. Well, the woman said to him, sir, give me that water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She says, if you have some way I can get out of the life I've dug for myself. If you have this living water you're you're telling me about, I need some. I want that. Give me that. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. Well, the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Now, This lady did what many of us do. We tell half-truths, right? She kind of told the truth, but left out a lot of significant details. And we often do that, don't we? I mean, she's not the only one. We often do that when it comes to our sin. We say the part that is not too embarrassing. We admit just enough to maybe make ourselves not look perfect, but, you know, we don't look horrible either. Just enough, you know, partial confession, half-truth. You know, I get a little competitive. That sounds a lot better than I am selfish and filled with pride. You know, wouldn't you go with competitive over the other? Just it, it's true. It's just kind of a half truth. Or guys will sometimes say, I struggle with lust. Well, that doesn't sound that bad. Gosh, you're just a guy. Everybody probably does. That sounds a lot better than I'm addicted to porn. And I treat women as objects rather than as dear sisters. Or a gal might say, you know, I, I'm probably just a little too open and honest with what I think. That almost sounds like a feature, you know, instead of I regularly gossip with other people and have wounded many good people because of my big mouth. We just have trouble, don't we? Kind of just going there, getting honest with what we've really done, who we really are. In this particular woman's confession, she said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, that's right. You don't. That was true. But you've also had five in your past. And the person you're with now, uh, you're sleeping with and they're not your husband. See, he tells her this and brings truth into her life, not to shame her, not to chide her, not to put her in her place, but to free her. Because until she comes out of denial, until she wants to minimize her issues, She'll never be healed. She'll never be set free. She has to deal with it. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. 
Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Now, this woman is doing what so many people try to do today, turn to kind of religion, right? My religion teaches me to worship at Mount Gerizim. Yours teaches that you should be in Jerusalem. Who's right? And yet she's convicted of her sin and wondering, what do I do? What church do I go to? How do I get my sins forgiven? Do I need to go see a priest? Do I take a trip to India and try and discover myself? How do I deal with my sin and with my brokenness? And here's a woman that has three great hallmarks of our day. She is spiritual, she is ignorant, and she is sexually confused. Isn't, isn't that the time frame we're living in? I mean, welcome to our world. We live in this age that's marked by the same markings that this Samaritan woman struggled with. She's not an atheist. She's spiritual. She believes in God. She's saying, yes, I'll worship. Where do I worship? Where do I go? And Jesus said to her in verse 21, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, the ignorance. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. And so Jesus comes to this woman and addresses these issues. He says, you're, you're spiritual, but you're lost. And you're sinful. And she says, where do I go and find life? What do I do? And Jesus declares in verse 21, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father. And I love the fact that Jesus looked at this woman and he makes this promise. You will worship God as your father. He says you will worship, not, not in this mountain or on some other mountain or in this place or that place. It's going to come down to a relationship, not a religion. That's what he was calling her to. So many different ideas about who God is. So many different ideas about what you do and how you connect with God. So many people pray, but they don't know who they're praying to. So many people serve and work, but they don't know who they're working for. And yet, Jesus wants every person to know that he is the way and the truth and the life. And that we come to the Father through him. In verse 23, he says, the hour is coming. And now is here when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth. For the father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus explains three things about worship. First, worship begins with God looking for you. God is seeking those who will worship. He's seeking. God is seeking you. And you can underline that in your Bible. The Father is seeking, surprising you with his love. He comes into the most unlikely places of our life. See, worship doesn't begin with me loving God. Worship begins with God loving me. It begins with him loving you. God seeks you. He looks for you. I love that. God is seeking worshipers. He's collecting his children so he can be their father. And I would encourage you, as you get time this week, maybe look back in your life and look for those times that God sought after you, where God protected you. Maybe you look back and say, man, I should have died there, and yet God preserved you. 
where God was with me through that very difficult part of my life, where I, I should have, you know, I could have taken a left turn, but instead I took a right and, and look where God has me now. See, God has been involved in your life, whether you recognize it or not, for years and years and years from the time you were born. God is seeking you even when you are not seeking him. Jesus says there are two other things about worship. Worship him in spirit and in truth. Not only is God seeking you to have a relationship with you constantly, but he's also seeking those who will worship him back in spirit and in truth. So you cannot worship the God of the universe unless you know the truth about who he is. That he's God, that Jesus is God. And that when we come to him, we're worshiping God. And the truth about ourselves, like the Samaritan woman, staying away from half-truths, but just saying, God, yes, I'm sinful. I've failed. I'm, I need you in my life. This woman had to get honest with herself about how lost she actually was. And so we do too. That we just come to a place where we get truthful about where we're really at. Truthful without any spins, without any half-truths. And we're truthful about who God is. Truthful about who we are, truthful about who he is. And that's called humility. That's called genuineness, sincerity, authenticity. And God says, that's, the, that's a worshiper. I want that type of person. In addition, he's saying we worship in spirit. That worship is, is a spiritual activity that we do. That we're more than just uh, flesh and blood. We're more than just a physical body. We are spirit. And when Jesus Christ saves you, the Holy Spirit comes in to live in you. And it's because of the Holy Spirit that we're able to worship in a spiritual way. You cannot worship God without the Holy Spirit in your life. So how do you do that? How do you get the Holy Spirit in your life? By receiving Jesus, by confessing that he is Lord, by allowing his death on the cross to pay for the debt of your sin. And because his death on the cross took the judgment upon himself, now we are forgiven, set free, placed into a friendship with God, and we receive the Holy Spirit so that now we can worship. We can worship our God. That's what Jesus went to Samaria to do that day. He was seeking a worshiper. He was seeking first and foremost to love her right where she was at. Help her get honest, but love her, forgive her, and save her. Heal her, renew her, and cleanse her. Every moment of every day, she could now be a worshiper of Christ. See, God is still seeking worshipers. You're here this morning because God loves you. And he's surprising people with his love. Some of you, you know what I'm talking about. Others of you, you're still in the process of seeking. And that same thing that Christ did for this woman, he does for every one of us. He takes time with us. He speaks the truth to us. He loves us. He dies for our sin. He raised from the dead. He gives us his spirit so we can be worshipers in spirit and in truth. See, the word worship means to kiss towards. Worship is the love of a true and perfect heavenly father reaching out to kiss you as his child. And then we, in turn, kiss him back. 
with our life, with our words, with our songs, with our giving, with our serving, with our loving. We worship him. The woman said to him in verse 25, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus reveals himself to this lady. That he is God. Surprise, surprise. You thought I was just some random guy sitting here at Jacob's well. I am God. She woke up that morning thinking she was just going to slug some water back and forth on that long, hot journey. Just another day at the office. And yet her life was changed forever because of that encounter. She goes back to her village. She begins to tell people about the man who knew everything I had ever done in my life. Stirs up the village and other people come and find Christ too. God is seeking you. He's been involved in your life from the very beginning because he loves you. He loves you. And he will show up when you least expect it in the most unlikely places. Not not to scold you or chide you or shame you, but he'll speak truth into your life. And then he will pour out his unconditional love on your life so that you can be changed, forever changed, and be a worshiper. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are awed at who you are, that you come seeking after us, that you come with this intentional mission into those areas of enemy territory in our lives to seek and to save that which was lost. And Lord, we just want to pause and say thank you. Thank you for doing that. Thank you, God, for loving me. Thank you, God, for your unconditional love, for your forgiveness. And even in the areas where you speak truth and help me to get truthful. Lord God, I worship you today. Can you tell God that? I worship you today, God, in spirit and in truth. And maybe you're here, not a Christian. Just consider the Samaritan woman trying to be spiritual but not working, throwing herself into relationships that kept failing. Separated from real community. And then when she finally gave her heart to Christ, she was loved and changed, healed and forgiven. And God wants that same thing for you. And it just starts by opening your heart, saying, God, yes, you are my father and I want to love you. I want to know what it's like to walk in that relationship that you sought me for. And so today I give my heart to you. And I'm asking that you forgive me for all of my sins. And I place my trust in you, Jesus, as Lord and God. To serve out of a heart of love 
for the rest of my days. Change me, Lord. Fill me with the Holy Spirit so that I can now leave this place as a worshiper every day, every moment of every day, worshiping you. Lord God, we thank you for this wonderful morning. Ask your blessing on every mom. And we give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen.